the Bible. So we are in the book of Galatians, and so if you're with me, we are now finally to chapter 5. Woo! Right, this whole time, you guys, that was, yay. That was another one of those, like, yay. Um, <laughs> that, that we've been going through the first four chapters, and, and the thing is with chapter 5, I'm actually doing chapter 5a and chapter 5b, so this one I'm splitting in half. That means I'm going to preach half the amount of time, all right? You, you, all right, all right, so there we go. Yay, that was a louder yay from my sister-in-law. That's awesome. Um, family can always be truthful. So, so we, we, are, we, we are learning about freedom. I mean, that's this whole series, Set Free to Live Free, and what that looks like. And, and we, we, we know that story that Paul came in to the, to the Galatian churches. He presented the gospel, what Christ did, so we can be saved, and then we can walk in salvation and freedom. Judaizers came in and said, no, but you still have to observe all the Mosaic law. And he's like, whoa, 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 I didn't say that. And so he wrote this letter to say, no, let's get back to the gospel. And that's for us, so many of us, that is what I want us to do to get back to the gospel. If you are just joining us, we do have, well, three weeks, including this week, um, to continue to go. If you haven't grabbed one of these, these sermon series guides, um, you can still join us on the reading plan and do that during the week on the back. We have a reading plan to get through the Galatians together as you read throughout the week. <clears throat> because our goal for you is, is to do what Jesus did. It says in Luke 5.16, But Jesus, the Son of God, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I think if Jesus needs to do that, I, I probably need to do that all the more, right? I need to go and spend time throughout my day, quiet place with God, pray and read and get into his word. And, and so grab one of these. We have the memory card and the memory verses on the bottom on one side and the other. And hopefully you have joined me on the verse number two. Um, and uh, we're going to dig into that today because um, that's where we're at. We're finally in chapter five. Woohoo! Um, it's so cool to see what God's doing here at New Hope. And just it's awesome to hear testimonies like this morning, isn't it? Like God is a saving God. And that's the whole point of Galatians. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Paul wanted to remind us in that letter that remember when you were saved. Remember what God did in you. When we remember that, man, it changes our perspective on the whole gospel, doesn't it? When we come back to that, oh yeah, I wasn't saved by what I did. I didn't earn this. I didn't get there. And I love hearing testimonies like we heard today because it, it's, it's that continual reminder. I cannot save myself. I can't do it. I can't do it. Um, so let, let's jump in since I, I don't have as much time this morning and we're just going to hop right into some things. So, so let's, let, let's jump into a story. Imagine it's your birthday. Um, and uh, and I, I heard about that. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm going to have you over to my house for your birthday. And I'm so excited because I, I wanted to give you your favorite meal. And so, so I did. We, we, you know, made your favorite meal and we're sitting at the table enjoying that meal. And then I'm like, do you know what? I baked you your favorite cake. I mean, the best cake you can ever imagine. I, I am a great baker. I'm not, but let's pretend. And, and I, I, like, I just wanted to make you your favorite cake. And I bring it out, and we sing happy birthday. And like, there's just something happened when, when cake and candles come out. One of two things. One, embarrassment. Like, oh, you know, that kind of thing. But you're still smiling even when you're embarrassed. Or it's like joy. It's like, yeah, it's my birthday, right? And you have all this joy. And I'm, I'm like, awesome. You blow out the candles and I'm cutting the cake and giving everybody peace. And, and if you don't know what's nice, what you should do, what you should do is wait until it's the birthday person takes the first bite of the cake. And then you're allowed to eat your cake. If you don't do that, you're rude. All right? So, so we all wait. 
and we're sitting there waiting, and finally you take the first bite of that cake, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so delicious. And everybody's like, oh. And so everybody starts eating that cake, and they're like, this is the best cake. And then I say, oh man, I hope you're enjoying that cake. But I forgot something. Just to let you know, just in case you needed to know this, um, when I was making that cake, I accidentally spilled a little bit of the rat poison into it. Is that okay? Would you keep eating that cake? I would hope not. Even if it's a little bit, like, well, a little bit, that's all right. You know, it's just, it, what, is a little bit of poison okay? No, is it the same as a lot of poison? Yeah, like if it's poison, there's poison in that cake. You would stop eating it immediately. See, this is what we're talking about with the gospel. The gospel is the best thing ever. And Paul presented the gospel to the churches in Galatia. We accept and receive the gospel, but then there's this little bit of rat poison that comes in that says, but I'm still not good enough. I need to prove myself. I'm still not good enough. I need to earn this salvation. I'm still not good enough. I need to keep trying to be good and better and better so that I I make sure that I'm still okay with God. See, there's this toxin that we're talking about, which is back in what Paul's talking about, the toxin of the old law, the Old Testament law. And when I say the law, I'm not talking about rules. Rules are good, right? We all need rules. Like, there's nothing wrong with rules. When we're talking about the Old Testament, they had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws as Jews that they had to keep to the T. And if they didn't, then they were out of alignment. And then they had to, like, go sacrifice or have the priest pray for them or do whatever to get themselves right with God again. And then it was just constant back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So they had to keep the Old Testament law and all those laws and all those rules to, to be with God and then to stay with God. That's what the Old Testament law did. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. I preach to you the good news. That's what gospel means. It means good news. The good news is you don't have to do all of those things to earn God, to be with God, or to stay with God. That law is the old law. The new came in. Christ showed up on the scene and then fulfilled all of the law, fulfilled all all of the promises that then we get to live into today. Isn't that good news? That is the good news. That is the gospel. God did it for us in his son, Jesus Christ, so that we didn't have to. And so now we get to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Everybody ready for this? If you have your Bibles, open up your Bibles. If you have your phone app, open up your phone app. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to read the entire chapter. No, we're reading half the chapter today. All right, not the entire. We get to do the second half next week, okay? And so, so if, if you're here this week and you're like, man, I'm not finishing the sermon this week. So you have to come back next week to hear the rest of the sermon, okay? Um, so here we are, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And this is our memory verse, right? So this is the, the key theme for the entire book of Galatians. And this is what we're talking about today. Let's all read this together. If you haven't memorized, close your eyes or look to the ceiling. Here we go. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. He's saying the yoke of slavery of the old law, right? He said, we've been set free, so let's live free, right? And and this imagery, I'm going to actually spend a lot of time just on this one verse, this imagery of a yoke and, and we've talked a little bit about it, but this imagery of a yoke is a powerful image. And, and today we don't, we've got tractors, right? So like 
um, unless you're, you go to Holmes County, you know, or even around here, so there are Amish that still use horses, you know? And they hitch up a horse, and they hitch up another horse. Man, they got two horsepower. Woo! Right? And, um, and they hook up a plow to, to those horses, and they go out in the field, and they do that, and yeah, yeah, and get those horses going. They're pulling. Did they say, yeah, yeah? That's just me. I don't know what they say, all right? And, and, and then they plow the field with those horses. Giddy up. I don't know what they say, right? Hee-haw! You know, whatever. And so there's this imagery of what they do. They yoke those horses together. Now, back then, we're talking old Bible times here, they would have probably had something bigger. They probably have ox, oxen, like these giant beasts, right? And they would take one, and then they'd have this wood piece that would go over, this yoke that would go over both of them, and they would hook them together. And so those two ox had to, oxen had to, uh, proper English, had to use both of their power together, and they would have so much more force. It would multiply the work when they were together. It wouldn't just be one plus one. It'd be like one plus one plus one plus one. It'd multiply the effort. When you have two, it's, I'm not good at math. It, and so when he's using this imagery of yoking for us as Christians, he's saying, why would you want to yoke yourself to slavery? Now, let me give, let me kind of try and paint this picture for you, okay? Uh, imagine, imagine if uh, there was an ox and it had been working all day and, and, uh, and, and it had a yoke, but it was all by itself. And then all of a sudden, um, they pull up next to this dead ox that's just laying there. And the farmer decides, I'm going to yoke you up to the dead one. And so he puts that yoke on the one that's just laying there. And says, all right, let's go. Would that make any sense? Because what would happen with that one ox? It would have to now carry its own weight, plus the weight it was working, plus the dead thing it's dragging. Now it's like being completely drained of all energy with something that's dead. That's the imagery of us yoking to slavery. When we yoke ourselves, even though we've been made free in Christ, our salvation free in Christ, even though we've been yoked uh, or been set free, if we yoke ourselves back to the old law and try to earn our way to God and to stay with God, we're yoking ourselves to something that's dead. It's going to take you more energy. It's going to suck the life out of you, not give you any. And you're going to have to double your effort and still not get the job done. That's what he's saying. Why would you yoke yourself to, to slavery, to the law, to all the rules again, to try to earn your way? The old law is dead. It is gone. What have we been set? We've been set free. Who set us free? Christ set us free. So here's a different picture for you. Imagine there's an ox and it's been working all day and then all of a sudden it pulls up to an ox that hasn't been working all that much and it's twice as big as this other ox. And the farmer says, okay, we'll yoke you up to this ox and that ox starts pulling. How's it going to feel now? Its load's going to be lighter. It's going to have like this fresh, like, whoa, I can accomplish more now because this stronger, larger, like well-rested ox is with me and they're going to do it together. See, this is what Christ has done for us. The freedom we've been given is that we don't have to carry the weight of the yoke, nor do we have to carry the weight of the work. It's already been done. 
we get to be along for the ride. That is what the gospel has done for us. See, there's this pathway of legalism and this pathway of freedom. And uh, I want to I show you how these two pathways work. If you choose to be yoked to the law, this is how it works. This, this is how a legalism works, okay? And maybe you know some people like this. Maybe you still kind of think like this. But this is what the law does. If I obey the rules, if I obey the rules, I'm going to read what I have here. And, uh, <clears throat> if I obey the rules, I will become a more spiritual person. I am a great admirer of this religious leader, and so I submit to their system. Number two, I believe I have the strength to obey and approve myself. I do what I am told, measuring up to the standards set for me. And so as I do that, I'm making progress, right? I don't do some things I used to do. Other people compliment me on my obedience and discipline. I can see that I am better than others in my fellowship. How wonderful it is to be so spiritual. And then it leads to the conclusion in number four. If only others were like me, God is certainly fortunate that I am his. I have a desire to share with others so that they can be as I am. Our group is growing, and it's too bad that other groups are not as spiritual as we are. Welcome to the yoke of slavery. That's where the law leads. It leads to self-righteousness. Look at what I've done. Look how hard I've worked. I'm better than I used to be. Well, I bet other people wish they were like me. I wish they were like me. God's pretty, pretty pleased with me. That's self-righteousness. If you want to be yoked to that, go ahead. But I'm telling you, it's a miserable life because it means you're going to have to keep working. You have to keep up the act. But if we choose freedom in the Spirit, this is freedom in the Spirit. This is when we're yoked to Christ. This is what it looks like. I have been set free by Christ I'm no longer under the bondage of the law, but I need something to control my life within. That someone is the Holy Spirit. And through the Spirit's love inside of me, I have a desire to live for others and not myself. And now this life of liberty I've been given, it's so wonderful. I want to live it to the glory of God, for He is the one who's made it possible. Do you hear the difference in the pathway? If we're yoked to the bondage of slavery, that dead ox, we're going to have to keep working and keep working and keep working. It's exhausting. We yoke ourselves to the freedom in Christ. We live under the blessing. We live under the promise. We live in humility. And we serve others and think of others. Why? Because we can. We're not only thinking about ourselves and how good we are. We're thinking about the others and helping them find Christ. Because it's not about me. It's about God and his glory. Two very different paths. And that's what Paul is saying if you've already been set free, why go back to the yoke of slavery? Why go back and be controlled by something that is there that will only kill you? <laughs> so here's my point number one. You can fill in the blank. Um, oh, no, 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 no. Don't do it yet. Because this is what Jesus said. He said these very words. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will make you work harder. Is that what he said? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is comfortable, and my burden is light. He's the strong ox. <laughs> I'm not. 
I can learn from him. I can walk with him. I can let the spirit change me. My motivation for change has become very different if I'm walking with this Jesus who saved me. This is what he's done for us. And so now you can write it down. Jesus set us free so that we would live free. Jesus set us free so that we would live free. Jesus is the way to God and Jesus is the way to stay with God. Amen? Amen. Can we try that one more time? Jesus set us free so that we would live free. We've been set free. Amen? Amen. Thank you. But Tim, if we're free from the law, won't that just create anarchy? There's no rules. I mean, won't just everybody go crazy and bonkers and do whatever the heck they want? That's what the Judaizers were telling Paul. That's what they were telling the other Christians who were young in their faith. No, 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 no. If we don't obey the laws, it's going to be anarchy. We can't do that. If we've been set free from the law, it means we don't live by the force of the external laws controlling us. We live by something different. Okay? If we're Christ followers, we live by something very different. And we want you to live into what Paul is going to talk about now through the rest of this chapter. Are we, are we done with the law? That was quiet. Are we done with the law? Yes. That's, what, that's the first four chapters. And the first verse of the fifth chapter. We're done with the law. It's done. It's finished. And so now he gets very personal again in, the, in, in this second section I want to dig into. Okay, everybody with me? Everybody ready? Now we're in verse two. Look, I, Paul, tell you that if you have yourself circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Now, those of you who haven't been a part of the conversation yet, circumcision it was a part of the Mosaic law. It was how the males in the Jewish culture proved and showed that they were a part of the Mosaic law. They, it proved that they belonged to the temple and they could worship and all that kind of stuff. That... I don't know if they're, I don't know how they checked it at the door, right, in the temple. Like, like, excuse me, can you, mm, all right, we're going to come on in. Like, I don't know what the deal was, okay? So I'm glad we don't do that today, amen? All right, so, so that's the whole deal with circumcision. It was just what they said. And I testify again to every man who has himself circumcised that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Meaning if you want to keep just part of it, now you got to keep all of it. If you're saying the law is still in play, you can't just like pick and choose. You got to do the whole thing. It's all or nothing. He says, you have been severed from Christ. You are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Now, this is a verse, if, if people take this verse, they can take it out of context real quick. Because this is two interpretations. One, this, some people say you can lose your salvation. Once you've been with Christ, you can lose it which means you have to keep being good enough to stay with Christ because if you're not good enough, you're going to lose it. If you do something against God, you've lost your salvation, go get right again, and then you get saved again, right? Over and over and over again. That's not what it's saying. If you choose to live under the law, what you're saying is, is you are wanting to be justified by the law. If you've started with circumcision, you have to do the whole thing. He says, if that's what you're doing, you have fallen from grace. When he says you've fallen from grace, he's saying you received the gospel through grace, meaning grace is us getting what we don't deserve. 
Christ gave us what we don't deserve, salvation. You've started with grace. You've walked away from it to go back to the law. It's not that you've lost your salvation, but you're not living in the grace you've been given. You've turned your back on the grace, and now you're trying to earn it by the law. Why have you done that? You can have a relationship with Christ, but still be wrong. You can still like ha- understand grace of salvation, but still try to earn it. And that's what he's saying. Why have you fallen away from what you first received and turned to the thing that will never save you? For we, through the Spirit, by faith, we are waiting for the hope of righteousness. See, there's two parts to righteousness. The first part is we've been made right with God because of Christ, and we receive that righteousness before God. He sees us as right before him because he sees his Son on us. Okay, And then there's the hope of righteousness, which is the continual growing into the rightness of, with God that we're continuing. And one day we will be right with him before him. That hope is a living hope. It's not a like, I hope it happens. You know, it's like, no, I have an assurance and I'm secure in knowing I'll be before my God and be right because of Jesus. It is an assurance of hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. That means everything. We're saved by grace through faith. And we work it out in love. Okay? You were running well, he says to them. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He's like, who cut in on you? Who distracted you? Who pulled you away from grace? Who did that? And he gets really blunt. This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. It wasn't from God. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. And if you've worked with bread and dough, right? If you don't put any yeast in dough, it just stays, right? It's just flat, flat bread, okay? You put a little, just a little bit of yeast in that thing, it just blows up. And that's what he's saying. If you put into the, the leaven of spirituality, the law, it's going to puff, puff it up. You can't have a little and still be okay. I put a little bit of poison in your birthday cake. Is that Okay. That's what he's saying. A little bit, it ruins the whole thing. So whether you have a little or you have all of it, like, you can't. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear the punishment, whoever he is. Whoa, that's where Paul's like. Remember I talked a few weeks ago. God is the one that will bring judgment to those who need judged. Okay? And that's what he's saying. But as for me, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, then why am I being persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been eliminated. Obviously, some of those Judaizers are saying, oh, no, Paul kind of switched his story. And he's trying to like, they're probably talking bad things about Paul and saying, no, no, Paul actually, you know, he was a Jew. I'm sure he still believes circumcision is okay. And he's like, if I was preaching that, why would they be persecuting me as, as the Judaizers? He's like, that's not what I'm preaching at all. I preach the cross. And then he gets, oh, verse 12. I wish that those who are troubling you would even emasculate themselves. Right? Like he's saying, let's let's not stop stop at circumcision. Let's just cut the whole thing off. Y'all don't find that funny? Like that's hilarious. This is the apostle Paul. He's like, I wish they would just go the full distance and get this over with. Why? Because I don't want any more of them. (laughs) You know, that's what he's saying. He's like, don't let these people multiply. Don't let them have kids. I wish they would just finish it and be done. That is... 
You think like nobody in the Bible said things. Jesus said them. Like you read the Gospels. To those who were presenting something against the Gospel, there was great opposition from those who were living in the Gospel. And that's, that's what he was saying here in verse 12. See, this whole idea here that he keeps going back to is this tension between rules and relationship because rules are easier than relationship. Give me a rule, I will follow it. Give me a rule, I'll follow it. And that's what they were trying to do. Okay, give me a rule, I'll follow it. It's like, that's not how this works. It's a relationship. Relationships are hard. Why? Because it takes two people to learn how each other works to be in relationship. And that's what we do with God and the Holy Spirit. We learn what the Holy Spirit does and we talk to and we listen and we pray to and we read God's word. God's word is his word to us. We learn about him in that relationship in his word and we learn the things that we need to put off in our own lives. Because the reality is all of us in this room have different things we need to put off. If I just made a rule and said, all of you do that, well, some of you are like, well, that doesn't even apply to me, but something over here does, but you're not even talking about it, so you don't have a rule about it, so I'll keep doing that. It's like, that's not how this works. This works in a relationship. See, you can do all the rules, and you can do it well without ever changing anything inside. You can look the part and obey the rules, but your heart could be way far from God. This whole transition from works to the gospel, it's this, okay? You can fill in the blank here. Because the old law, all the old law did was create behavior modification. Here's this external force that we're telling you you have to live up to. Here's a rule, do it. Here's a rule, do it. Here's a rule, don't do that, right? Like here's all the rules. It created external force to do behavior modification, all right? Where God's grace is all about heart renovation. That's a big difference. You can obey the law, and your heart be way far from God. When God comes in and the Holy Spirit enters into your life, it's no longer this external force trying to make you do all the right things. It is this internal working of the Holy Spirit renovating what's in your heart, pulling the things out that don't look like Christ and helping you walk patiently. He walks you patiently and lovingly and tenderly into obedience into his word. It doesn't mean that rules don't exist. We read the Bible. There are things in there that are good for us. There are things that are the guardrails that God put up for a reason. And we're going to talk about those next week as we get into the second half of chapter five. And he says, these are the ones that look like the flesh. These are the ones that look like Christ. Like we walk into that, but our motivation isn't for behavior modification. Our motivation is internal by the work of the Holy Spirit so that we can love each other. Are y'all with me? So the old law, all it did was created a behavior modification where God's grace, when it enters in, there's this heart renovation. Things start to change. And this whole reason for the heart renovation is for us to experience freedom. Freedom. See, the Judaizers, they were continuously saying, but life without rules, it's going to create anarchy. People are going to do whatever they want. And Paul's like, no, no, no. The Holy Spirit leads us into something so much better. Okay, let's keep reading this last part. Okay, verse 13. For you were called to what? To freedom. I want you to say it like uh, William Wallace. Here we go. For we were called to freedom, freedom, right? We were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only you do not 
turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but to serve one another through love. See, we're given freedom, and he says, but don't use that freedom to continue to sin. Don't use that freedom to be like, well, I've got grace, so I'm just going to keep sleeping around over here. I'm going to keep treating this person like this, and I'm going to keep gossiping over here, and I'm going to keep doing this. Like, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you've been set free, then, then you need to live free, but don't use that freedom to continue to live into the sin nature that's in you. You use that freedom to serve others in love. Why? Because love is the perfect representation of the God of the heavens. We look more like Christ because our heart's being transformed because we're looking more like who he is. And then he continues, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in this statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, who said that? Who said it before that? Lots of people said it. I mean, it's this, this is back to Deuteronomy. This, is, this does go actually back to the law. And then, then, then it's repeated all through the Gospels, and then, and then it's repeated then in through the New Testament multiple times because this is the center of the Gospel. We have been set free so that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. We use the freedom to love each other, not to continue just to sin, Right? But if you bite and devour one another, now he's, whoa, take care that you are not consumed by one another. The law produces one thing, devouring each other, judging each other, measuring up to one another. That's what the law produces. The Holy Spirit produces love. You receiving it and you giving it. Two things, two very different things get produced in this process. And we get to choose. Do we want to walk in freedom and in love or do we want to walk in slavery and the law, which then we try to measure up to each other so we can measure up to God? See, when we're talking about the law and the path of it, the law only produces self-righteousness and self-righteousness will only produce rivalry. If I'm self-righteous, who am I measuring myself up to? You who isn't as good as me. Does that sound very loving? Have you been to those places? Have you met that person? It's judgmentalism. I'm judging my own actions and goodness based upon yours, and mine's a little better than yours, and so it creates a tension of rivalry between us because now they're going to be like, well, I want to be as good as them, so I'm going to try to raise up to be as good as they are and prove myself good enough. Is that loving? No, that's all that the law creates, a self-righteousness that produces rivalry, competition, one-upping each other to be better than the other and making sure the, by all outward appearances, I'm good. I'm good. I'm really good. I mean, look at me. I'm doing really good. When really, in fact, their heart is as black as could be. I've never really met a judgmental person who's actually happy. Typically, judgmental people are pretty miserable. They're not at peace. They can't rest because they can never be good enough. See, the motivation for change, if it's externally forced, leads to self-righteousness, which leads to rivalry. If, if we are walking in Christ, 
God's love for me and the Spirit's work in me, it becomes the motivation for obedience to God's Word. Not external forces, not how you're doing. It's all about God's internal heart renovation. It's about God's love for me. I have been so loved. God so loved the world. You're part of that. God so loved you. He gave His one, His only Son. Whoever should believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves you. God's love for you, for me, and the Spirit's work in me. I have the Spirit in me. The God Himself is in me, changing me, becomes the motivation for obedience to God's Word. It's not external, it's internal. Does that make sense? Now the Holy Spirit is working in me, and now I'm learning to love other people. And when I see something out of alignment with what God wants for my life, it's no longer, oh, I got to I got to line up. It's got to oh, change my heart. Help me not walk into that anymore. Convict me of the sin that's walking against your love and grace in my life. Change my heart. See, we are still called as Christ followers to obedience and faithfulness. Walking away from the law doesn't mean walking into freedom to sin. Walking away from the law is walking away from the thing that enchains and enslaves us to walk into the freedom to love, to be freed from those things that continue to pull us back into the bondage of slavery. We don't need the external force. We need the internal working of the Holy Spirit. But we prefer what is comfortable rather than what is right. Even if that comfortable thing is sin, even if that comfortable thing is actually opposite of what God wants in my life. We choose it because we already know it. And we get comfort even in dysfunction because we're used to it. I want God to make us uncomfortable in the things that pull us away from him. Lovingly, gently pulling us back to him. Allowing the Holy Spirit to to show me those parts of my heart where I'm off, where I'm out of alignment, where I'm hurting him and I'm hurting other people and I'm actually sinning against God, I'm sinning against other people. I don't want to be like the Israelites back when they were set free from the land of slavery in Egypt. See, see when the Israelites were set free, Moses came in, God sent Moses, and Moses showed all these wondrous signs All these curses came upon Egypt until the Pharaoh's like, get out of here. And then boom, they get to the Red Sea. They can't cross it. The army's coming to kill them. And Moses raises his staff, the water parts, all of them, million plus, walk across on dry land across the sea. They get to the other side and they're led by a pillar of fire. They saw all this miraculous things and like God setting them free from the slavery for hundreds of years they lived in Egypt. And they get out into the desert and they don't have what they think they need. And they complain to Moses. Why did you bring us out here? When we were back in Egypt, at least we had pots of meat. What they were saying was, even though we were in slavery, we knew how it operated and we were comfortable in it. Even though you've been set free, you still may be comfortable in the sin that had nothing to do with God and the slavery that held you. And God's saying, I didn't set you free to still live in slavery to sin. I set you free to free you from sin. Why to go back to slavery? And he lovingly 
gently pulls us closer to him in his grace and his patience. My challenge for you is we're going to move into the freedom that we experience next Sunday in the second half of chapter 5 and what the fruit of the Spirit is and what that looks like, what the fruit of the flesh is, our sin nature, and that battle that happens between. You will want to be here for next Sunday. Before we get there, maybe today, I want to challenge you to start wrestling with God a little bit. Where are you going back to slavery to sin? What in your life... Is it an addiction? Is it something that feels comfortable, but it's not really godly? Is it, is it, is it, is it you going back to rules because the rules feel comfortable instead of actually living in grace? Maybe it's judgmentalism towards other people, trying to measure up to your rules. Maybe there's a part of your lifestyle that, you know, it just does not align with God. Is there something in your life like that? Is there an attitude that you just walk with? I mean, when you're at work, do you talk about other people behind their back? It's called gossip. It's a sin. When, when you're thinking about other people, are you, are you trying to get them to measure up to you? Do you think you're the best thing since sliced bread? You're not. You're a sinner just like they are, just like I am. We're all sinners. What is it for you? Are you trying to still live by the law? Or have you been set free? And are you living set free? God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that you've given us everything we need inside of us. We don't have to be controlled by this external rules. But not that there's no rules, God. You've given us boundaries and guidelines to live by so that we can walk in blessing and your promises. But God, we don't have to do it in our own power. You've put the Holy Spirit in us to renovate our hearts, to, to make us uh, change and to grow us and to set us free continually as we grow to look more like you. And God, this, this morning, for all of us in this room, I'm praying that you will help us. Help us take whatever step we need to take. If there's something that needs pruned out of our hearts or our minds, the way we think, take it out of there, God. Set us free. Help us walk in your freedom. I just want to stay in an attitude of response and just so you can just... You don't have to look at me. Just, just spend some time with God as I ask a few questions here, okay? Because first I want to talk to the believers in the room. Where are you using sinful behaviors to comfort yourself? Where are you using sinful behaviors to comfort yourself? You need to lay that down before God. And let the God of all comfort comfort you. So when you struggle with that issue, whatever that draws you back to that sinful behavior, I would encourage you that you'd be drawn to your knees before God first. And ask Him to comfort you. Ask Him to be with you. How easily do you love others? Does it come pretty naturally and you just tend to do that or or are you judgmental? Do you, do you have a tendency to kind of just judge others pretty quickly? Maybe this week, ask God to help you with that. God, help me to love others. Help me to see them through your eyes and the lens of grace. My encouragement is this week, let the Holy Spirit continue to renovate your heart. 
Now, those of you in the room that you don't have a relationship with God and you have tried to be good enough, maybe you said to yourself, I'm going to go to church so that I can get good enough to get to God. Boy, that's a lie. It doesn't work that way. You can't get good enough to get to God. None of us can. God is perfect. And His perfect love for you, He makes you good enough through Jesus Christ. Dying on the cross, when He died on the cross, He paid for your sin on that cross. His blood shed instead of yours. So then that you could be forgiven and made right before God. And then He deposits His righteousness into your life's account and makes you right before God. If you confess Jesus is the Son of God and that He died and rose again for you, you can experience that freedom and salvation. That's the gospel and good news. And it's all through faith. Faith is knowing for sure God is who He says He is and Jesus is who He says He is. That's, that's faith. It's knowing that you know. And if you want to put your faith in God today and start a relationship, you can pray wherever you are, here, online, whoever's listening to my voice. And that prayer is not no, it, it is no and I say this all the time, and New Hope, you hear me say it all the time. There is no magic prayer of the pastor that does anything. It is your own confession, your own belief, your own faith. So would you guys pray with me? If that's you and you want that relationship, you can just say, God, I believe Jesus is your son and that he died on the cross for my sin. Please forgive me now and forever. I want you to be in my life. I want your Holy Spirit in me to start renovating my heart. I repent of my sin. I want to walk in your ways, God. So I give you my life. Here I am. I believe you. And I just ask this in Christ's name. Amen. And God, all of us in this room, thank you for setting us free. Help us to live free this week. In Christ's name. Everybody said amen. Amen.